Hello listener and welcome to Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. Thank you so much for finding time to join me. I'm your presenter, Samuel Mahangi. Maureen Komboke is on standby with the Family Life segment. Today she will talk about lasting marriages. Brother Steve Rundu will also join us during the Bible segment. Today he will talk about sin's effects on stewardship. Stay tuned for this and some songs in store for you. Here's a song, A Country by Faith for Today. The country where no twilight shadows deepen An ending day when night will never be
is the new life program coming to you from Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. Get ready to listen to Maureen Komboka with the family of segment. Be blessed. Hello dear listener, welcome to our family life program. I am Maureen Komboka. Today we are going to talk about lasting marriages. Do you think divorce ever brings happiness? If not, why do you think people divorce? When many people meet perplexities in the home, they think of divorce as the solution when divorce has never been a good solution. When disagreements take place, instead of thinking of changing your partner, why not think of changing your temperament? Changing partners hardly ever brings real happiness. Spouses who disagree and who decide to divorce usually engage lawyers to help them. The children, however, are left out. They hire no lawyer and their opinion is not sought. If the courts will abide by the decision of the children as to whether or not the parents should divorce, in the vast majority of cases, the children will vote against divorce. In spite of that, the opinion of the children is never considered although no one is hurt more than they by divorce. What could be done to avoid divorce? First and foremost, any person contemplating divorce should be mature enough to understand the responsibilities of marriage and what marriage is all about. Among the many problems, pressing upon us in these days is one that is important above all others, preservation of the family way of life. With marriage, breaking up on a scale never known before, is there anything that can be done? Concretely and specifically, to reverse the trend, we believe there is. Here are a few things that can be done to preserve the marriage from crumbling. 1. Make important family decisions jointly, not unilaterally. The husband may be head of the home, but if he loves his wife and cares for the happiness of his family, she should be given a voice in decision-making. Similarly, if the wife happens to have the dominant personality, she should refrain from establishing a dominant relationship. 
No one wants to be the victim of tyranny. Two, periodically, couples need to consider the state of their marriage. How is it doing and what can be done to improve it? It is prudent to begin by recalling the strengths that the marriage enjoys. Recounting this can remind the marriage partners of how much they have going for them and how much they can be thankful for. In their marriage, each spouse should ask the other, Am I doing anything, even if it may seem trivial, that tends to get under your skin? Or, what can I do that will help you feel better toward me and our marriage? If it is something of acknowledged importance, it obviously should be identified and corrected. Maybe it is something one dislikes to disclose, but that has been a persistent source of vexation for years. It is better to say it gently, yet clearly, than to let it fester into a more serious grievance. Petty things can be seriously annoying. They may not be intrinsically wrong, but they rankle nonetheless. No matter if the reaction to them is irrational, if something irritates, it irritates. Our feelings are not the product of reason, and they cannot be reasoned away. Few things can do more for a marriage than a spirit of willingness to forego doing things than no away at marital harmony. Of course, a person can always stand by his rights and berate his spouse for being upset by seeming trivial, but only if he is more interested in his trivial rights than in the quality of his marriage. 3. Be willing to say, I'm sorry I said that, or I'm sorry I did that. Even the best spouses will occasionally say or do things better left unsaid or done. Saying I'm sorry is often hard to do excruciatingly hard. But marriages in which both spouses can swallow their pride, summon their courage, and speak those magic words are marriages almost sure to survive. Be willing to say, maybe you're right. This commandment is similar to number three. Anyone who looks back on his life can remember times when his opinions or decisions seemed so right, yet turned out so wrong. Life is a humbling experience. When a person reflects upon his fumbles and blunders, People who always seem to know they are right can at times be harder to live with than alcoholics or chronic gamblers. 5. Express your appreciation of some quality your spouse has or of something good that he or she has done recently. Make it more than an annual event. All people are somewhat insecure and all need reassurance that they really are loved and appreciated. Hearing that they are appreciated brings out the best in them. Expressing appreciation for another also makes a person feel more kindly toward him. 6. Each spouse needs a break from the daily routine. The husband may need a quiet decompression time after a long day at the office or planned free from clamorous children and from a wife with a day's frustration to unload. But the wife may need similar relief from the children and the kitchen. A brief period of solitude or diversion from the harassment and vexation of the day is good for both of them. Each spouse should do his or her best to ensure that the other gets this privilege from time to time. 7. Each partner needs elbow room to provide the sense of freedom that a healthy marriage requires, the right to spend money without having to account for it, and the right to spend time shopping, visiting, or engaging in any other legitimate activity entirely on one's own is essential to that desire for independence that never entirely leaves a person. 8. Do something together frequently that both enjoy. 
Since married partners must bear disappointments and disasters together, they should share pleasures too. It may be a meal out or a night visiting relatives and friends. If one will follow these rules and rely on God in raising children and caring for the family, there need not be a reason for divorce. It is also very important for young people not to contemplate marriage until they are fully mature. When an immature person marries to become happy, he not only disappoints himself but the unfortunate person who marries him as well. A person must be happy before he can make someone else happy. An unhappy person before the wedding is an happy person after the wedding. A person who contemplates marriage must look for a partner who has reached a level of maturity same as his age. Next, choose someone with characteristics, interest, education, and religion similar to your own. If a young man enjoys farming and he contemplates marrying someone who is used to city life, there is already one strike against the marriage, and so it is with other likes and dislikes. Although opposites may attract, it has been proven that they do not get along well together, especially if they are opposite on such vital matters as how many children they want or on which side of town they wish to live. Finances, too, should be carefully considered. Spending partners should be similar in order to live harmoniously. Money is among the top causes of friction in the home. After the first few months of marriage, it is easy for the marriage partner to begin noticing flaws in each other that were so well hidden prior to marriage. Few brides and grooms know each other's true disposition before marriage. If they do, it is unlikely that there will be any changes through the years. No one should look for perfection in a mate until he has reached that state himself. And it must be remembered, it is better to change one's disposition than to change one's pose. It is better to think in terms of what one can give in a marriage rather than what one can get. Love is many things. Love is being sensitive to each other's need. It is sacrificing for the one you love. Love is understanding. It is sharing problems and joys. It is showing respect. Love is cooperation. It is making decisions together. It is enjoying each other's company. Going places together. Also, love is not things. It is not domineering. It is not nagging. It is not selfish. It is not an ultimatum that demands your own way or else. Lack of communication is a problem that shows up in 85% of marriages, according to the experts. It is the most cruel torture that be used against each other. Husbands and wives become strangers in their own homes when they cannot or will not talk to each other. Difficulties must be confronted verbally by both partners. Trying to escape by not talking is the coward's way out. Silence is not called in when used as a weapon of hostility towards one's mate. It can be a devastating tool for wrecking a marriage. Besides, nothing is ever solved with the silence bearer. Only through communication can the air be cleared. As one couple who was married 70 years said, of their long life together, the secret is to sit down and talk things over. There is always a chance for change if you talk, but when the channels of communication become clogged, the marriage stagnates. Of course, on the opposite side of the scale is the one who is willing to talk too much. Arguing is like trying to push a door open with a person on either side. One will have to give in and push from the other side in order to open the door. It may even be better to lose all arguments than to win and live alone. There are no shortcuts towards a successful marriage. Preparation for marriage involves all the 
pertains to emotional maturity. And it means here is the rub socialization of personality. These two persons have to live together for many years, and over the course of time, it is basic personality that counts. If there is a key in family relationship, we suggest to share interests and enthusiasm to cultivate a certain maturity that excludes self-seeking, self-pity, and self-indulgence, and it always helps if there can be a sense of humor. Marriage is a combined operation, and that does away with the freedom of isolation. Interdependence doesn't mean learning, but being able to reach out and know what the partner is there when needed, and planning together to meet a big or a little crisis, and working hand in hand along both sunlit uplands and dark valleys. Let us remember that the family is the most important institution in society, and all should do their utmost to preserve it. From birth to death, there is scarcely an action that can be performed by a person that is not guided and colored by what is learned in the family. Bitterness within the family works its way into society. The person who is frustrated in family life is likely to become the cynic of wildlife. Why not learn to be happy and cheerful in your family so you can bring cheer and happiness to society and the world? The world needs happy homes, happy families, happy children, and happy people. It all begins in the home. Let us make our homes happy. Thank you for listening. I've been Maureen Komoka. You are tuned to Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. This is your presenter, Samuel Mangi. A producer would love to have your thoughts about this program. Please send them to the producer, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 4276-00-100, Nairobi, Kenya. You can also reach us through AWR Nairobi at ek.adventist.org. Let us now listen to Faith for Today with the song, Beulah Land. There is a opportunity to get some spiritual nourishment from brother Steve Rundu. Welcome bro. Sin's effect on stewardship. Come with me to the book of Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 to 20. Genesis 3 talks of the fall of man and from verse 7 we see it is recorded that then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves 
to gather and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Then the man said, The woman put her with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust and all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and he will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children you desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cast is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So seemingly harmless, the first sin, yet like a bird gone multiplied in every cell, yet like a bad gene multiplied in every cell of an organism, its repercussions continue to affect our world and ourselves, permitting every relationship, every motive, and every millisecond of every minute Sin ruptures our relationship with God, with everyone and with everything, twisting our ability to perform the stewardship's task God has entrusted to us. Yet this situation is neither permanent nor irreversible. Biblical scholar Craig Lumberg reflects, The sinless perfection of the Garden of Eden did not last long. As part of the punishment for disobeying God, Adam and Eve, were told that their relationship with other animals, plants, and the land will no longer be harmonious. That is, per Genesis chapter 3, 14 to 15 and 17 to 19. All the rest of the Bible is about how God subsequently unfolded His plan to offer redemption to fallen humanity. Not until the process is complete and the new heavens and the new earth described in Revelation 21 and 22 appear, Will any part of creation be fully restored to the ideal God originally intended for it? That is Romans chapter 8 verse 19 to 22. Biblical studies professor Eugene F. Rupp points out the Genesis 3 depicts an all too familiar tension between humanity's sinful state and God's perfect holiness. Rupp's commentary on the effects of sin on stewardship closes with material that is both sobering and intensely hopeful. He says, We really have been set free in the world, God's magnificent garden. We enjoy the garden, flower-dotted hills of springtime in Maryland, 
We see people of all shapes, sizes, ages and colors every day and on the rapid transit in Chicago. We listen to the birds of New Brunswick sing to their sisters and brothers in Maine. We see the wheat grow in the sunlight of Manitoba and watch the ocean wash the California shore. We live in a magnificent garden. While virtually all things are possible in God's garden, not all things are beneficial and some things are not permitted. Nevertheless, we are genuinely free. We have the power to drain the farm soil of all its nutrients, to enslave certain people by economic oppression or military might, to care for our own physical needs or emotional desires. We can even preach the gospel as benefiting and blessings blessing us and condemning those not like us. But such things are not permitted for those entrusted with the stewardship of God's world. They constitute stewardship toward death in a world of life. We can rejoice the stewards are finding new ways to nurture the soil back to life. Many stewards are reclaiming their life-enhancing role. They are listening to nature's voice and deciding to let the rivers run. I'm calling you to think about this. How did sin mar the creation, both physically, relationally, and spiritually? What are some of the effects of sin you see in your immediate sphere of life? Your neighborhood, your church, your home. And the last point to think about is, do you see God's redemptive plan at work in your life? In what ways are you seeing it, if so? I call upon you to pray with me about all these things. Let us humble ourselves and pray. Lord, I grieve when I see the effects of sin on your created world. Yet I have hope. You are redeeming the entire creation. Allow me to take part in your redemptive plan. For I have prayed all this, trusting and believing in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. That brings us to the end of our program. I hope that you've been blessed. We'd like to have your views, comments, or questions about this program. Please send them to the producer, Adventist World Radio, PO Box 4276, code 00100, Nairobi, Kenya. Our email address is awr Join me next time, same place, same time. But until then, may our God be with you. I've been a presenter, Samuel Mangi. There is a land of corn and wine, and all its joys will soon be mine. There shines a deep and blissful day, for a dark night has passed away. Oh, Beulah Land, sweet Beulah Land, upon the heights I long to stand.
Yeah. 